Welcome to the Ginghamsburg Podcast. After today's message, take a second to download the Ginghamsburg app. It's the best way to find out about and engage with what's happening at Ginghamsburg. We hope the following message helps you activate your faith and take the next step in your journey with Jesus. Let the church say amen. I'm going to leave that alone because y'all about to get something started in here. And uh, uh, I want to stay on my assignment. I'm so grateful, grateful, grateful to be with you this morning. And uh, I would say that if I was in the church down the road, because it would really be true. I heard the psalmist say, I was glad. What? When they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Amen. I got to work on these Bible exercises with Ginghamsburg. You know, I start, you finish. Come on now, somebody. I was glad when they said unto me, let Okay, all right. I thought you all were a Bible-reading, Bible-believing church, and it's all right to say it out loud. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. Uh, the ministry of music alone would have been worth the drive this morning. Amen? And, uh, and the privilege of being with uh, the Millers. Where'd they go? There they are. Uh, I'm thankful for uh, Dr. Dennis Miller and the Reverend Rachel Miller. Their friendship and their kindness their partnership in ministry across a number of years now has been a huge gift to Cynthia and I. So we're so grateful. And uh, if I may just, so, so I'm going to give equal time. Um, you know, uh, if, if y'all don't want them, this is not a family of clergy that I have trouble placing. Are, are you hearing me? So, so if y'all don't want them, so do right now because I know they're going to be all in with you. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Dr. Jim Wilson is the presiding elder, the district superintendent. Jim, it's good to see you. And uh, thank you for uh, rolling with me. I know, I know sometimes it's a burden. Oh, the bishop's coming to the district and the DS feels like he's got to show up, but I'm so grateful. And thanks be to God. Den Dennis used to show up when I was, when he, I'd be over on the Foothills District. And so it's a great thing. And to my dear wife, Cynthia, thank you for being with me this morning. She and I were just whispering with one another. So I met my wife. Don't deduct this from my sermon time, okay? Yeah, yeah. Just, I, you know, I, I, need, I need a little taxi in room. But come December, I met my wife 50 years ago this December. Amen. <clears throat> And uh, we've been married 46, so we thank God for what God has done. I mostly thank God and thank Cynthia for putting up with me. But uh, 50 years ago we met, and so when the good uh, when the team was singing uh, that last piece, particularly "You Don't Know What He's Done for Me," when I met my wife, she was the president of the Young Adult Choir at the 19th Street Baptist Church in South Philadelphia, at the corner of 19th and Titan Street. And listen, this was their motto: "Where Jesus Christ." was the main attraction, where Jesus Christ was the main attraction. I hope that's true for every, every group of people that claims to be a church, especially for United Methodists, where Jesus Christ is the main and frankly, the only attraction. I mean, what else do we have to offer the world except Jesus Christ? 
So I met her and she was singing like that. That wasn't her song. She just leaned over. She said, who was that that sang that? And uh, we came up with the name of the person. So I won't say the name because it might end up on Facebook and that person. We've not seen her in 45 years. She might say, why are you telling my name out in, in Ohio? So I'm going to leave that alone. So thank you for this great privilege to be with you today. The Lord be with you. Grant, oh God, now in this moment and in all the moments of our lives that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will find acceptance in thy sight. O thou who art our rock and our redeemer, let the redeemed of the Lord say so by saying amen. So as I told them at the first service, and those of you that you're hearing this twice, I'm going to end up by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit at the same destination, but you might find some nuances a little bit different. And uh, I didn't think after the first service I was feeling kind of spent, but uh, I put an extra shot. They put an extra shot in my coffee, and I had a half a donut. I'm ready to roll now. So, uh, so those of you that have lunch reservations, if you need to ease out, just go quietly, and uh, I'll be done when I'm done. But no, I'm just, I'm just messing with you just to make sure you're real people and that you're alive. Marcy told us earlier, reminded us that Thanksgiving is in four days. And frankly... Thanksgiving is a big deal for many households and many families. And while we look at it through a particular lens as people of faith, it really has become a civil or civic holiday. That does not mean it's unimportant, and it doesn't mean that it is not worthwhile in a civil society to invite people in, particularly, you know, sort of after the harvest is in, to a period of reflective gratitude and gratefulness for life, for health, for strength, and that the earth has brought forth again out of the sweat of the brow that people have put into it. Nothing wrong with that. But it occurs to me as I was listening to a song this week on, on YouTube, and it was, this, is, this was dated, took me back 25 years, where the Gospel Music Workshop of America Choir had a song entitled, Every Day is a Day of Thanksgiving. Now, the Gospel Music Workshop of America, which is dedicated to the propagation and the promotion of high-quality gospel music and gospel music singing, was looking at this through the lens of the Christian life. And it was not a speech against a day of thanksgiving, but it was a reminder that for those of us that live our lives in God and are grateful for all that God has done, is doing, and all that God has promised to do every day is a day of thanksgiving. And it was a firm reminder that we as the Christian community, this may also be true for other faith traditions, particularly for our Jewish sisters and brothers. We have every reason to acknowledge the gift of life that God has given to us and continues to give to us and to sustain us. Life now and, and, and wow, the promise of life eternal. And I turned to the Psalter, the, the hymn book of Israel, and I looked at several Psalms. There are more than these, but several of them go to 107, 118, and 136. And they all begin 
depending upon your translation, with a similar phrasing. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. And then it continues, his mercies endure forever. Or some translations say, his mercies are without end. And the particularity of those psalms, they may go on to talk about particular things for which the psalmist or the community of Israel is thankful for deliverance from trouble and from violent enemies, for providing bread and food. But they are acknowledging, and that's a part of our repertoire as well, because we're people of the Hebrew Bible and of the so-called New Testament. We've called it the Old Testament, but it's the Hebrew Bible for them. It's, it's the whole ball of wax. And for us, it's a part of the whole ball of wax. It's a reminder that our life and our strength comes from God. And so I want to live a life of gratitude and gratefulness every day. I want every day to be a day of thanksgiving. I don't want there to be a day that goes by that I don't thank God for who God is before I ever get to enumerating any blessings that God has bestowed for me. Because, you see, we have, we have equated blessings with materiality because we have this need to numerate and to quantify and, may I say, to monetize everything. And we only think that we are blessed if we have certain things and I'm telling you, even if you don't have anything, I'm, I'd hope that that's not the case because that's a difficult life. But even if you think you don't have anything in order to sustain your life, the message of the scriptures is that in God, we have everything that we need because God is the very source, the very source of our lives. And so I want to stay immersed in the fullness of the Godhead. I want to stay immersed in the God known as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I want to stay immersed in the one who is creator, redeemer, and sanctifier. Because in that one, I know and I have everything that I need. And he has promised me and promised all of his children that he will make provision for everything that they need. But it all begins with the relationship. Because if we're only praising and thanking God just for the harvest, even though we need to eat, <laughs> we're stuck on the gift. I want to be stuck on the giver. Somebody ought to say amen. I want to be stuck on the giver. I want to say thank you to the giver for everything. When I was a kid, I used to, I went to a lot of church. I've never not been in the church. I didn't say I've always been good. I may not be that good right now. That's up, to, that's up for other people to decide in the power of the Holy Spirit. God is our judge. But I used to hear grandparents and aunts and uncles and people in churches, they would pray by what I would call formula. And by formula mean that they prayed in a certain way, certain things would get said, and in some cases, there would be a certain cadence to it as they continued on through their prayers. I, I think there's some narrative that goes with that because those prayers, while, while memorized and routinized, at the end of the day, were deeply coming from their hearts. 
And they had carried them forth from generations that they had heard pray in the same words before them. And so I hear words in my head when I think about the formulaic praying of the kinds of churches that I grew up in. And it's still going on in many churches. It may not be at Ginghamsburg, may not be up and down Interstate 75, but they would begin the prayer with, so, Lord, I thank you. So it begins with thanks. Lord, I thank you that you woke me up this morning <laughs> and that you started me on my way and that when I woke this morning, I was living in the reality that all night long you had angels hovering over my bed. <laughs> that while I slumbered and slept, no hurt, harm, or danger would come to me. I thank you, Lord, that my bed sheets were not my winding cloth. Hmm. <laughs> and then they would say that when I woke up this morning, I thank you that I, the blood was still running warm in my veins. And that's almost, that's almost ridiculous to say. You're dead if the blood is not running warm in your veins. But they felt the need to say it. The blood was still running warm in my veins. It's the little things, y'all. I had the activity of my limbs. I was clothed in my right mind. As a kid and as a teenager and, and, you know, you go off and you get a little education, which I'm actually all for. Get as much as you can. Get as much learning as you can. But education alone will not get you to wisdom. Are you hearing me? Accumulated information will not get you to wisdom. And God knows it won't give you common sense. <laughs> not unless you got the common sense to take it. But it's a help. So don't, this is not, this is a pro-education speech. But, you know, I was kind of smelling myself, you know. And I said, it seemed like to me, why they got to pray the same prayers all the time? Can't they get some new metaphors? You know, I learned metaphor in high school English, you know, so I thought I was so such a, can't they get some, some new images but I did not understand where they had come from and the journey that they had been on and the fragileness and the slipperiness of their lives and the difficulties and the challenges that they had faced. And what I have learned through the years is this thing called life is a gift. And the only thing I need to do when I wake up in the morning is say, thank you, Lord for another day, and then parenthetically <laughs> to say, you didn't have to do it, Lord, but I'm so glad that you did. And so we thank God. We live, we're invited to live out of gratitude and gratefulness and thanksgiving for who God is and all that God is doing, and that somehow or another, in the genius and the wideness of God's heart and grace and mercy, I used to hear a lady say in a church, my dad pastor, uh, I, I would say, Sister Jordan, uh, how you doing today? And she, she said, Lord, she said, Pastor, I just thank you that the Lord has bid my golden moments to roll on a little while longer. She was grateful. She was grateful for the gift of life. May I say to you, I didn't say all this at the first service. I implied it, but I was on a strict time thing. We're, we're so entitled. 
we, we, we think this thing is sure. And, and here, here's the other thing that messes us up, that keeps us, it's a barrier to gratitude is, we actually think we're doing it. Are you hearing me? We think we're doing it. Now, now, we all contribute. We all put forth the sweat of our brow. But we're not really the ones that are doing it. At best, we are co-missioners. and co that's, that's sometimes how we get twisted in the church. We think we did it. Are you with me? No, no, this is all grace and mercy. This is all the goodness and mercy that, that the ensemble was singing about earlier on. This is what Paul Tillich said, that, 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 that part of what we have to learn to do in life is to move from being autonomous people, meaning self-focused, self-absorbed, self-centered, believing that we're the locomotion to being theonomous people where we are God-focused, God-centered, and God-empowered and God-energized. So I thank God. I thank God this morning. I thank God for who God is and that God would even countenance me. That's what the psalmist said in the eighth psalm. What, what is the human being that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou... I mean, you know, he said, and yet God has made us just a little less than God's self. Wow. What a gift. What a gift. And all I can offer is thank you. I've been thinking in my own walk with gratitude, which I could do better at. And sometimes it's better at at home and with the people that you're around all the time and not just when you have your public face on. I may just be talking to me, but if, if I've got any witnesses, you can testify. One time my wife uh, said to me, um, <laughs> uh, I guess I was on some kind of jag, some kind of toot full of myself, and, and she, uh, she, she's got the most lovely way to uh, chasten, uh, chasten me. And, uh, and, and by the way, when she calls me bishop, it's not honorific. When she refers to me in the privacy of the home as bishop, it is, listen, dude, pay attention. <laughs> but she said to me one time a few years ago uh, when I was being a little coarse in some way, something in the family, and she said, why don't you be nice to us like you are to the waitstaff in a restaurant or to your parishioners? Wow. That's the Holy Spirit speaking. So I've been thinking, you know, in our continuing walk with gratitude, how do we give, learn to give God thanks for everything and for everyone? Everything and everyone. You know, we, we like the big ticket items. <laughs> but when I think about my life, there are certain people who have made my life possible that are conspicuous. That would be family, parents. I don't have siblings. That would be my wife, my children, whom I've learned so much from. Other people, mentors and, 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 and friends that I'm close to and whether they've gone on to glory now or I'm still in touch with. But they're sort of obvious. But I've been thinking in more recent years, this may come with aging. 
about all of the people who helped to make my life possible and to keep it going, and I didn't even know that they had helped me till I was way down the road. Who opened that door for you? I want you to know, whenever I hear anybody introduced as a self-made person, I'm moving in the other direction. Self-made people. I don't care how hard you work. Self-made people are dangerous. God-made people are transformed. <laughs> but self-made people, after a while, they'll get to inhaling the resume. And they're very dangerous people. They don't know they're dangerous. They don't mean to be dangerous. But they are dangerous. And if nothing else, they'll get you to thinking that you are a self-made person. Sometimes when somebody says, I'm a self-made man, I want to say, I can see. <laughs> Who are the people that, not just the top 10 list, if it happens to be your mother and father, family members, mentors, that have made your life possible? I'm thinking of Elvia Jackson, my Sunday school teacher, when I was a little tot sitting in red chairs. I wasn't as big as I am now. I was just a little tyke, three, four years old at most. Ran into her the other year. She looked up at me. I was somewhere in Philadelphia preaching, and, uh, and she said, uh, Gregory, do you know who I am? And I said, no, ma'am, I feel like I should. She said, I'm Elvia and I dropped to my knees in the basement of that church where I had been preaching because she had been my first Sunday school teacher, the first person outside of family that told me the stories of Jesus, that helped me to regulate my behavior in the small community of the eight or 10 kids that were in uh, uh, the primary class in the Sunday school, that little Trinity church. I'm grateful for Elvia Jackson. And I could go down through a long litany of people, little people along the way, but they made my life possible. They contributed to shaping me and I ought to say thank you. Oh, I found a reference in the Bible where you ought to go back sometime and thank some folks that made your life possible. It may have looked like just a little contribution. I was over in 2 Samuel and the ninth chapter and David, David I went to a particular community and David said this, listen to me, is there anybody left from Jonathan's house? Is there anybody left? Remember Saul and Jonathan had gotten killed at Gibeah. He said, is there anybody left from Jonathan's house? David, rogue that he was, great poet that he was, was going back and marking the people that had made life possible for him. And David and Jonathan were the best of friends. <laughs> and he felt some need, some duty to say thank you for how God had enriched his life through Jonathan. Jonathan was dead, but he said, if I can find somebody from his house, his progeny, his offspring, I will bless them as a way of blessing his daddy and his grand. Is there anybody left? You see it, 2 Samuel 9, while you're in between football games, flipping the TV between Hallmark and the NFL today. Is there anybody left? Is there anybody left 
from Jonathan's house. Bring him to me that I might show him some kindness for Jonathan's sake. I tell you, my life is not going to be complete until I say thank you to more of the people even if I only encountered them once, who made my life possible. And so they answered King David and they said, well, there's, there's a little, there's a guy here named Mephibosheth. Can you say that three times without choking? I haven't met many people named Mephibosheth in my life. And Mephibosheth, <laughs> had become physically lame. He had mobility problems because when his father was about to meet his death, his nursemaid and the household servants had picked him up and helped him to flee even when his daddy got killed. And along the way, Mephibosheth was dropped on the ground and his limbs were broken and they never, I assume just now, I'm not an orthopedic surgeon, but they just never healed right. And so through one conversation to another conversation, Meshibbeth came forward and he comes before King David. And he says, I am your servant, Lord. That's how you talk to royalty, I suspect. Thank God we don't have to do that in America, Jesus. <laughs> He bowed in obeisance, the King James Bible says. And it's almost as if David said, no, dude, you don't have to bow to me. I'm, I'm here to bless you. I'm here to bless you because of my relationship with your dad. Because of your granddaddy. You understand what I'm trying to say? Who are the people you need to thank? And if they're not alive, wonder if you ought to try to find somebody from their house and thank them vicariously that their parent or grandparent or aunt or uncle made their life possible and made your life possible too. And David said, as long as I live, you'll have everything you need to eat. You'll never sit in the kitchen anymore. You'll be sitting at my table. And it was his way of saying, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Other people make our lives possible. Even people we don't like. So I'm on my third point. I'm almost done, just, just hold on. Our communities would be better. I would be better if I could see everybody through a lens of gratitude, rather than entering the room and sizing up the room politically, theologically, ethnically, and culturally, and assuming there was a problem. Now, I don't want to dismiss those realities. Don't get it twisted. But I want to put on lenses that help me to see first that everybody is a beloved child of God. 
And if I can keep that in mind, even when your politics and your theology and your culture and your first tongue and mine are not the same, we can find a way to work this thing out. You are a beloved child of God. See, we walk around with our signs. I, I'm, I'm a Republican. <laughs> I didn't say this at the first service, but I'm saying it now. I'm a Democrat. <laughs> I'm an independent. So what? Whatever party you belong to. My primary identity is the identity of those folks that went in the water today. Beloved child of God, washed in the blood of the Lamb. And I thank God for keeping to offer me those lenses. I don't always put them on. I don't always put them on. I mean, let me just give you a small example. I know I'm over my time. Let me give you a small example. Let's say you're telling a story about somebody you met. We all do this. I know there's a few perfect people in here, but you know, try not to make the rest of us sinners feel too bad. And we'll say, I had this wonderful experience today, and we'll go on and we'll describe whatever it is. Or we'll say it was a terrible experience, and then we will modify the discussion by saying, and they were white. Or they were black. Or they were Asian when that identifier is completely irrelevant to the story that you're telling. Are you hearing what I'm trying to say? Now, you know you do it. You don't have to say amen, but you know you do it. I do it. More of us do it than we ought to. It doesn't mean that our identifiers, I'm not trying to get out of my skin. As Solomon said, I am black and I am comely. That's in the Bible too. But you actually have to read the whole book. But you hear what I'm trying to say? I am black and I am comely. But it didn't say that somebody else is whatever gradation of color they are and they're a piece of crap. Or if some kindness was done to you, was it done because, if you put the modifier at the end of the conversation, because of that person's color, culture, or first language? You see what I'm saying? Lead with, put the lenses on, beloved child of God. There's this vein in Jewish mysticism, I'm told, where that, 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 that there was the belief and conviction in this vein of Jewish mysticism that, that we, people were to see the world as if I'm walking down the road toward you and I see you coming and you have been assigned an angel and I have an angel who's in front of me sort of as my front person, so to speak, my front angel and that angel's only assignment, the only assignment of the angel is to say, behold, <laughs> behold the beauty and the likeness of God. Behold the image and the likeness of God. Can you imagine that? I can see that angel sitting right in front of you this morning saying to me, behold the image and the likeness of God. Behold the image and the likeness of God. Behold the image and the likeness of God. Thanks be to God for that privilege. Now the other reason I thank God is this. I thank him for his providential care. I wish I had more time. 
But I want you to know God is a keeper. And that God has been keeping me and even whether you know it or not has been keeping you and providing for you even when you didn't know it <laughs> in ways that you could not imagine. <laughs> and even if you came up or found yourself in some difficult circumstances, God has been keeping it from being worse than it is. <laughs> So I told him at the first service about my dad who died about 18 months ago. He was born in 1925. He sometimes would refer to himself when he would tell his biographical story that he was a child of inconvenience, meaning mom and daddy were not married. They were servants and hands to a wealthy family in South Jersey across from Philadelphia. And they made a love connection, uh, but there was no marriage impending. My grandmother already had three children. And she said, what am I going to do? I, I, I don't see how it's possible for me to care for and feed another child. <laughs> and so my grandfather, who I understand was not the marrying kind, never married to my knowledge. Anybody else has never had any other children. So let me work on it. He, he made a connection from Philadelphia, sent word down to the eastern shore of Virginia, and got his big sister who ran the family sharecropping operation to agree to take the baby Herbert. And so at about three weeks old, my father in a great big car, I've seen the pictures of the car, the wealthy woman for whom my grandparents worked, my grandfather and grandmother take this little baby from Philadelphia down to the eastern shore of Virginia. Now I gotta tell you, if I were to look at this in 1924 and 25 through the lens of sociology, my dad was a disastrous statistic waiting to happen. Are you with me? But for God, <laughs> but, but for God. And he was placed with his extended family and he absolutely believed until the day he died, until he never drew breath again, until his heart stopped and his brain activity stopped, that God had positioned him to be just where God needed him to be to get what he needed to become a contributing human being. Every time he would hear the story of the baby Moses and the difficult circumstances in which that baby came was hidden, put in, put in, a, in a little bassinet and rolled down the river. And wouldn't it just turn out that Pharaoh's daughter was taking a bath down river? <laughs> and old Moses was saying, he said, that's my story. He said, that's my story. I wasn't raised by my parents, but I was raised by people who loved me. And he said, we didn't have much, but he said, I always knew this. He said, I always had dignity. I always had enough to eat. And I always knew I was loved. And listen to what he said. He said, and I always had adult role models. Now, if you ran that scenario in a sociology class, for what would happen to a little black baby born in Philadelphia in 1925 under those circumstances. You would know that he turned out to serve in the military twice. You wouldn't know that he turned out 
to be a preacher of the gospel. You wouldn't know that he turned out to be my dad. Who when he was getting back into church as a young adult, he said to an older woman in the church where they ended up, he said, I think I'll send the boy to Sunday school. And Ada Jenkins said to my father, Herb, don't send the boy, bring the boy. Bring the boy. And the rest is history. He went into Trinity Church and he never came out of church again. Started leading the Young Adult Fellowship in the local church and in the annual conference. Started preaching the gospel. That little clapboard plywood church produced more preachers than you can shake a stick at. In the city of Philadelphia with a dugout basement. And he and my mother brought me into the world, raised me. Now, I may not be all that I ought to be, but I've tried to make a contribution in everything I am, I owe to what God did through them. Don't tell me. I know some of us, some of you right now, you're living in hell at home. But there's a providential care that's watching over you. And you may be right at the edge of saying, if this doesn't end, I'll lose my mind. And every day you wake up and you're still clothed in your right mind. And all you can do is say, thank you. Thank you. Now, finally, I'm, I know you're glad when I say finally. <laughs> I thank God for salvation. Oh, I thank him for Jesus. I thank him for my family. I thank him for Elvia Jackson. Thank you for all the Sunday school teachers. I thankful, I'm thankful that it took. I don't know whether I was a good student, if I was a pushover. I don't know, but I thank him that I've got a living relationship with a risen Savior who one day stepped off of the pages of the Gospels and stepped into my life and said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I'm convicted that I'm going to run with him all the way from earth to glory because he is stuck with me all the way. Let me just testify. Paul said in Romans and 5, while we were yet sinners. I know some of you think you're not worthy. You know, I'm always, uh, I don't want to get in your Kool-Aid here, but I, I always am just intrigued by people. They won't take communion because they say they're not worthy. Can I just say to you, that's the whole point. <laughs> Do you think he hung out on Calvary till every drop of blood dripped from me because we were worthy? It's the opposite. You and I have a God and a Savior who's in the business of the unworthy. And he picks us up from where we are. You see it, old folks say, he picked me up and he turned me around and set my feet on solid ground and established me while we were yet sinners. Christ died for the ungodly. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Over in Ephesians, 
Paul is outlining how bad it is. He said, oh my God, all of humanity was dead in their trespassing. I mean, it's just almost depressing. And then you get to this, this one moment where the word but. One day I'm going to preach a series of sermons and it's just going to be the great buts of the Bible. One T, the great buts of the Bible. We were dead in our trespasses, but God in his mercy, in his mercy, the ensemble wasn't just up here jumping around saying hallelujah about the goodness and mercy of God for our entertainment. They were reminding us of the goodness and mercy of God that when we were dead in our trespasses, God's mercy intervened and made a way for us. I got one more story and I'm done. It's a quick one. I know, I know you're saying he said that before. Listen, listen, I was a pastor in Berea, Ohio, and uh, we'd have long lines come up for communion when we were doing it by intention and, and uh, had several retired clergy there, and they were wonderful, but every now and again, uh, they thought it was their duty to tell a young pastor, uh, here are all the things you're getting wrong. <laughs> so one of the retired clergy, who was a great help to me, uh, came to the office one day and he said, uh, he said Greg, uh, he said, when the people come up uh, and take the bread, I understand, uh, I hear some of them saying thank you. And he said, uh, the appropriate liturgical response to receiving the host, the living bread <laughs> uh, for us is to say amen. <laughs> And, uh, oh, it just kind of irritated him. You know, the things that irritate us really don't make any sense. And as my grandma would say, they don't amount to a hill of beans. And in 10 years, nobody will know the difference. Now, I understand the appropriate liturgical response. I'm not mad at the appropriate liturgical response. Are you hearing me this morning? But, but I said, Dan, I said, when somebody gives you your life back, what can you say but thank you? What can you say but thank you? It's muscle memory. It's auto response. Somebody is looking at the host, looking at the bread, and all they can say is, Jesus did all of this for me. I said, amen is the right liturgical response. And then I said, get over it. <laughs> I'm not going to use any of my chits correcting these people and saying you got to say amen because they might not say anything. But I want you to know when the bread and the cup are given to me, I want to say thank you, Jesus, that at the right time you died for me. Thank you, God, that on the third day morning you raised up your divine son from the grave, broke the seal of the tomb of Rome, and set him loose in the world by the power of the Holy Spirit. When I think about that, all I can say is, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for saving me. One of my wife's three favorite hymns is when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. My richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. But if you want to see her get religion, you get to the last verse where they say, and you hear a great chorus swelling, were the whole realm of nature mine, 
that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, demands my soul, demands my all. To which I respond, all I can say when I look at that cross is thank you, thank you, thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's message. I've got two invitations for you before you go. First, subscribe to our podcast so it shows up in your feed every week. And if today's message inspired you and you'd like more people to hear it, you can give a financial gift through the Ginghamsburg app or online at ginghamsburg.org.